What's up, Kieran? Not much. Just excited to be here. One thing that has been like really interesting to me is, can you, was there, is there a story behind you deciding to do a grad, like a PhD or even master's? Yeah. Like what is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there's always a story. Rarely do you find someone that said, I just woke up when I was three years old and I always knew I wanted to be a grad student. <laughs> like, no one wants to be that when they're a kid. So there's some point at which you have to kind of decide, realize that it's an option and then decide what to do especially like research stuff. Cause like, obviously you have to do some form of grad school for like law school and doctors and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. but like we're talking about research grad school um, with these really esoteric specific topics. So for me, it was definitely not even on my radar when I started college, I majored in music um, at BYU and I loved it. I studied commercial music, which is like, all the business of music, whether it's producing or audio engineering, that was my track, um, which is basically you learn how to edit and work with with audio um, and record it and stuff like that. And I took a class because I had to do all the GE, all the general, you know, the general classes. And I had to take a physics class. And I was like, hmm, this one about acoustics looks really interesting because it's like sound. So I took it and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And my, we had to do this like research project at the end and I had to practice like a ton of hours a day in these little practice rooms. And I was curious if there were differences room from room, like between them or the sound exposure I was getting. So we got the, like we could borrow different um, instruments, different like uh, measurement devices they had. So I got this like sound level meter. That's like this precision level thing. And I practiced the same thing in a ton of all these different practice rooms. And I, I measured the differences with like the shape and the size of the room and all these things. So it was pretty like, it didn't, that project didn't have any impact, but I turned it in and my teacher was like, Hey, if you have an interest in research, come talk to me. And I was like, didn't even know that was a thing. I thought this was just a class project. So that kind of started my research career. So I went and I worked with that particular professor. She kind of helped me. Um, and this was all acoustics focused? Yeah. Yeah. So my first, first few years of research were all acoustics. So I studied musician noise exposure. Um, I studied audio, like signal processing and how to develop like a system where, well, this kind of actually relates to VR. So I worked with a grad student who was developing a system where you can, where you could talk into a microphone and it would in real time simulate a virtual environment, which they do all the time in like audio. But this one took into account the exact like head transfer function of the person and made it like super realistic and all sorts of like processing has to go into that. Um, and I got to do it in this really cool anechoic chamber um, where basically there's no echoes whatsoever. So you can do this like pure testing and stuff. So that was this might be a, This might be a rudimentary example, but is it one of those like Salon audios, you know, that's pretty popular. You put on your headphones and you're, it, it, the, the story is you're in a salon and then you can hear sort of the guy cutting your hair. Someone walks in the salon. I don't know if you've heard it, so maybe this does yeah. not make sense to... No, I've heard of those, yeah. So that's that's related. That's when people, like, that's 3D audio. So it takes into account, like, it's just a special way of recording, basically. So you can be able, you can localize the sound, and they do things with the processing to make it hyper-realistic. So that you can feel like it's someone's cutting your hair behind you. And, like, I've actually listened to that and, like, reached behind me and been like, oh, my gosh, is someone cutting my hair? Yeah. yeah so that kind of stuff is really cool. And that's related in, in some aspects to that. Okay. Yeah. 
and then so something that I find so cool about your sort of story is that you were into acoustics and then also physics and then now you're in construction and honestly not really construction right you're using augmented reality right so my this is sort of a like a difficult question to sort of ask but try to answer it if you can right is uh, for you do you look at things as if this is what i mean this is what i want to do so i'll you know put in my effort or is it like okay i have to do acoustics i have to do physics i have to do construction and then whatever i have to do it it's almost it 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 does not matter what it is i can put in all my effort regardless of what i have to do and i don't necessarily need a motivation to you know i want to do this does that make sense Maybe. I, well, let me let me answer what I think your question is, and then you follow up if I okay, haven't actually yeah. fully answered your question. Um, so, like, it, it is. It does sound like a lot of really disparate topics that I'm like, oh, this, and I have to do this, and now I have to do this. And in one way of looking at it, would be the opportunity came up for me, like for that research. The opportunity came up in acoustics, and the opportunity came up with my master's. I did that in architectural engineering with an acoustics emphasis, and that led to building sciences. So one way of looking at it would be like the opportunity came, and I was like, okay, great. But the most rudimentary level would be like, oh, I followed it because I got funded or whatever. But that that's not it at all. I think for me, it's never been these. It's never been separate topics. It's never been like. Okay. Oh, I used to do acoustics and now I do like, it's never been that it's always been part of this holistic experience that that's been the discovery of the new and, and the discovery of the way that like the way that the world works, the way that we interact with the world. So for me, it hasn't been, it hasn't felt like a transition or like a, you know, leaving behind one concept going to another. It's all kind of felt really interconnected and the motivation for doing it has just been the desire to pursue things that I don't know anything about. I think okay. like, I, just learning about, cause like coming in and working with augmented reality and virtual reality, I hadn't even put on a virtual reality headset before I entered into this PhD program. I think most people have maybe even a little more exposure than that, but I just, I, I looked at something and I, I thought this is a project where I know about the building sciences I know about the learning sciences, but I know nothing about this new technology. So I felt comfortable enough to enter into a project, but there was enough interest of something that I, that was like a mystery, you know, like that new thing. It was co complete mystery to me. So I felt comfortable enough to, to be confident pursuing it, but enough, intrigued enough by the by the technology that it was completely new. So I think it's just that desire to, to gain different expertise and to learn about something you've never, never touched, something so new, you know. Does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, no, you did answer it eventually, but, but maybe I asked it poorly. I, I don't, my, my question wasn't about, you know, the separation of your topics, because I think that is where actually new knowledge, I don't like that word because everybody uses it so much new knowledge, but that's where like, right. new ideas come, you know, because mm -hmm. like this domain has probably looked into a lot of things. This domain has probably found out a lot of things, but it's at the interaction where you can sort of develop ideas. Oh, this is you know what we don't know or i think that's that's right. perfect but my sort of question which you i think you answered was this is something i struggle with i never know because you know i was and maybe this is an india specific phenomenon there were a lot of movies about you know do what you love or do what you like to do don't do the things that you know you're told to do and things like that mm. almost uh almost made uh, 
demonizing anything that is uh, anything that is productive but everything you know a more a, a unbalanced focus on just passion and ambition and that kind of thing and i've always thought about you know do i actually need passion or do i need to love what i do or can i just pick something up and then choose to be passionate about it does that make sense yes i actually okay. love that concept because i like i think someone talking to me about my work would be like whoa you're just so passionate about like construction or technology or acoustics or something and yes but I think I've chosen to be and there are days when I'm like I am not pursuing this for the passion I just have to like the days where you like literally all you did was work on a literature review it's like I am not passionate about literature reviews I'm not passionate about does that make me happy not necessarily there's sometimes where I'm like oh that was interesting to read but like no uh, and then minute details of like the research process, there's a lot of it that I'm not passionate about, but I think I'm passionate about the big picture of being able to say the discovery of new knowledge, that concept is really cool. And that doesn't happen to me every day. I don't, I do discover, you know, something new every day, you know, like, yeah, you know, we get something new every day, but that like big learning, you kind of just have to create, you have to keep this holistic perspective, this big picture, because the day to day that's, yeah, it's not like it's not like there's this burning fire passion that's like, I'm so excited to review literature today. No, I'm like, I recognize that it's a step on this overarching journey. It has to be a spectrum, right? And like, yeah. it cannot be just I am passionate or I'm just doing this for whatever external motive, mm -hmm. you know, incentives. So I, I feel you, but I still struggle with it sometimes, I, you know, just because I think what research has taught me is there isn't a right answer always. Yeah. And I think our, our advisor that we both share, he, I think he keeps repeating, you know, like I don't, I don't have the answer, but we, we sort of need to ask questions that sort of guide us towards whatever the answer is. So that's, yeah. 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 Can I, I have some more to say about motivation too. And this is something yeah. that I haven't talked about a lot. Um, that I, I that I kind of took some time to come to terms with myself. Um, so like I said, I started out in music and that's something I'm very passionate about. Like that's not, it's something I pursued for passion only. I didn't, there were, okay. there were no reasons like, oh, I'm going to make money off of this and stuff. There are a lot of people who really can make money. I have friends in the program. They're doing, they're very successful. Um, but as I did it, I learned that not only was I worried about like a lucrative career, something that, you know, would be good. I was worried about losing my passion for music by pursuing it. So I, I found that spending hours and hours in the practice room made me kind of resentful toward playing the piano, which is something I loved. And then going to classes where I had to fine tune all these details, all the, like the audio engineering stuff. Some people just love that process. It made me just go into this like mode of I hate everything I do. And this is, this is taking the joy out of something I love. So in some ways I chose to pursue what I do now because I like it, but not because I love it, which makes it sound bad, but it's not because I like it and I, I know enough about it to like it, but I'm learning more every day. Whereas something like music, which I have an unbridled passion for, I chose specifically not to do that for a career. So I didn't lose that. I don't think that's the case with everyone, but I think that's kind of, Interesting. That is so interesting. So it's almost like a person loves football, 
and they choose not to be a football player because they don't want to hate football by practicing every day. Right. And like taking, because sometimes it takes the mystery out of it too. Like music, I actually really liked learning this part of music. Yeah. Because like you can learn, for example, like the music industry, I was like, oh, all these artists just creating this music. It's a business. People like you can, you learn the tools and it, it kind of takes this like, sort of mysterious like oh I sat in my room one day and wrote guitar no I know music theory and I I know what people are like their ears are accustomed to I can write something that you'll like whether or not I put passion into it or not and the passion is what pushes it over the edge absolutely but you know yeah it takes it takes a lot of the mystery out of it and I think the same is with like any art or science like chefs for example if you love food are you going to become a chef because then you like have to cook it all day every day know everything that goes into it I love food. I want, I make it, but I, I also don't want to do that all day, every day. So I can go to a restaurant, sit down and enjoy it. You know? That's so interesting. I'd never thought about it. So if like we play Jimi Hendrix, I don't know if you like him or not, but if we play Jimi Hendrix, I'm going to be like, oh, this sounds good. And I'm going to enjoy it because I don't really know how he's playing it. Right. But yeah. someone who knows to play the guitar, he's going to think about, oh, he's, you know, he's going to get to the technicalities or the structural part of the music instead of just enjoying the music. Yeah, I actually listen to music that way. Sometimes I turn it off and I'm just like, whatever, this music flows and it's really cool. But sometimes I can really, I can listen to a song and be like, this is the note they're playing. This is the chord progression they're using. And this mm. is the theory that makes this part interesting. Like I can do that. And it, yeah, it, sometimes it makes it more interesting, but sometimes it takes the the like spark out of it too. I don't know. It's complicated. So I think you said this, but I don't know if I understood it. Did, was this a conscious decision? Was this actually a decision you made that I love music, I don't want to lose my passion for it, so I'm not going to pursue it? It was conscious, but it was slow. It wasn't It wasn't one day I was like, wow. oh, I, I can't do this. No, it was like over time I noticed that I was like just not enjoying it as much as I had before. I was like, why do I dread going to the practice room? Why do I dread the next assignment I have. Why am I dreading this? Is it because I hate music now? No, it's mm. because, because it's like those constraints that were placed upon me, which it, I mean, I chose to do the major and I have no regrets about that whatsoever, but I just think for my personality, it just, it like what, like what we've discussed it, I slowly realized that it took the magic out of it for me. That's very interesting. I, I like that. I want to think about that more. Because you like the intuition or the initial response, if I like doing something, just do that more. But that might not be the right answer, right? <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, that's the same thing with like dessert. <laughs> I love dessert, but should I eat a whole cake? Yeah. No, probably not. Have I? Maybe. No, I haven't. But I have split a cake three ways with my friend <laughs> one night. <laughs> but that's kind of the analogy. And that's not to say people who pursue their passions as careers I think there's ways of like still enjoying it, but that's been my experience. This reminds me of this thought I was having, right? Like I, I always like uh, singing, but I'm such a bad singer, right? Absolutely. I'm a very bad singer. Really? Let's see. I'm not singing. Right now, but, <laughs> okay. but I was thinking like you could apply that to any art, right? Like I could love drawing or painting, but not being good at it. But what you said about converting your, passion into a career converting it into a career almost has a prerequisite of you being good at it yeah. but if you don't want to make it a career then 
you don't have to be good at it right like if i don't want right. to be a singer i can still sing but not be good at it or i could if i want to if i love painting i could still watch like bob ross videos and try my oh, yeah. at painting but nobody cares if i'm bad at it so if it's not a career it almost removes the stress of being good at it does it removes the stress and i think one other factor is also your expectation of what you're going to get from it because i just like i keep thinking comparing myself to like my my colleagues who have had fulfilling successful music careers and all, but should i eat a whole cake yeah no probably not have i maybe no i haven't but i have split a cake three ways with my friend <laughs> one night but that's kind of the analogy and that's not to say people who pursue their passions as careers i think there's ways of like still enjoying it but that's been my experience this reminds me of this thought i was having right like i i always like uh, singing but i'm such a bad singer right absolutely i'm a very bad singer really let's see I'm not singing right now, but, <laughs> okay. but I was thinking like you could apply that to any art, right? Like I could love drawing or painting, but not being good at it. But what you said about converting your passion into a career, converting it into a career almost has a prerequisite of you being good at it. Yeah. But if you don't want to make it a career, then you don't have to be good at it, right? Like if I don't want right. to be a singer, I can still sing, but not be good at it. Or I could... if i wanted if i love painting i could still watch like bob ross videos and try my oh, yeah. at painting but nobody cares if i'm bad at it so if it's not a career it almost removes the stress of being good at it does it removes the stress and i think one other factor is also your expectation of what you're going to get from it because i just like i keep thinking comparing myself to like my my colleagues who have had fulfilling successful music careers and only they can say how they feel but like just looking from the outside it's been you know it looks like they're having a good time and i'm like what makes that different maybe it was the expectation going in cuz i thought music something i've always enjoyed not necessarily hobby but just something like a release becomes something that's a constraint now mm-hmm. um i think some people were aware of that going in and being aware of that i think can remove that stigma for you and knowing that for example like growing up knowing music is a business and there's that side of it could could remove that for you I don't know. Okay, I'm going to take a hard left. Okay. Ask you. And these are going to be speculations, so we probably both don't know the answers to like these questions, right? But what are do you have opinions on like uh, gen artificial intelligence? What do you what I do you have have you thought about hmm can computer make music and good music that I can actually enjoy and do I yeah. actually care about who made it if I don't know who made it? that's a lot of questions but to answer some of them yes i think artificial intelligence can make very successful music i think artificial intelligence can make music that appeals to the masses very easily i i'm pretty sure it already has i think i don't know if you've looked it up i've listened to some stuff that's been like generated and it can't it really can't there's some elements though there's some parts of being human that i think are imbued into really great parts so are in this music in this like artistic sense i think a trained ear would be able to tell the difference between artificial intelligence music and then a really great piece of art but i think there's either we're at or we're going to get to a point where a trained ear won't be able to tell the difference between artificially produced music and commercially produced music for the sake of getting commercial success because 
they're going to be so intertwined because sometimes you just make music to appeal to the masses. And if you design artificial intelligence to do that, it can, I think it can do it. Okay. Okay. Let's say there's a good piece of music and you're in the zone where you're not really paying attention to it. You're just enjoying it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly your acoustics, technical mind triggers and you start thinking about the structure of music and you realize, huh, this seems odd. This might actually be created by an artificial you know, agent. At that point, do you stop enjoying the music? Can you still enjoy can you still enjoy it knowing that it was not created by a human or do you not care? Personally, I could. Because I think I am very I embrace technology. I'm not scared of it in any way. Because I think there's a fundamental part of being human that can never be replaced. So I'm not worried about like, that's why I would enjoy it still. I'd be like, that's cool. But it would take it from like pure musical enjoyment to a, oh, that's cool because it's artificial intelligence. So I think it'd be a different kind of enjoyment at that point. Okay. So it won't be, so the novelty would be a factor of you enjoying it. It would be a factor for me personally. Yes. Hmm. Because I've been thinking about, you know, like sometimes like at least me who don't, I don't understand music. I think of music as the source of music being emotions in some way, mm -hmm. right? If that is true, but I think what you've said is there's more of a business angle to music than just purely someone sitting in a room and creating their own music. But I'm thinking, like, I have thought about this because I'm like, if, do I care about where the music came from? And if I do, then I have to answer a bigger question of emotions in artificial systems, right? But if I don't care about where the music came from and it's just like putting beats together, then how does it matter if like a f some a musician put that both put those beats together or like an artificial system just found patterns and recreated like let's say Bob Dylan's music because I'm sure you can find patterns in the way that he created music, right? Right. Yeah. So that I'm gonna I'm gonna end, like respond to that with kind of a question to well some thoughts and then and then a question. So I think. It, okay, I don't, this is a, there's a lot of thoughts. So the way music is created, when it's created with passion, I think that creates something absolutely beautiful when it's created by a person. I think there can be really nice things also created artificially because I think on the other end, there's like passion translated to music, translated to the listener who, who feels emotions through the music. And I think if they feel something it doesn't matter how it originated because sometimes the artist's intentions are completely misinterpreted and someone still feels something like what if someone wrote something they're like this makes me feel sad and it makes me like get into a really sad place and someone's listening to they're like yeah this makes me feel calm and peaceful is it is it less impactful because the artist's intentions weren't you know perfectly translated or is it more impactful because the the listener is a part of the the musical process and i think kind of going back to the artificial intelligence question there's like i don't care where it's made because i this is probably way too deep into like my philosophy of music but i think the the theory of even like a single sound wave a single piece of sound, it hits our ears and we translate into the sound in our brain. But I feel like that also has impacts on our body and that we don't even understand um, because vibration, there's like the whole scale of vibration. You have the earth's vibration at this like super low frequency. You have 
the highest vibrations like off the scale you have light which it is in itself a vibration of sorts and then music is just the range of vibrations that we hear um but they're coupled with so much else in the world so i think at a really like big picture level i think sounds and vibration has a, has an impact on people that's beyond what they are able to to understand intellectually so i so i don't know then so what do you think matters more like the intention when it's produced or the way it's received no what you said i like very much so like if even if you think about movies right sometimes the movie might have a very generic story and the mm-hmm. and the writer wrote the story because for the for the entertainment aspect of it but me as a viewer i might connect with a particular character in the movie mm-hmm. right and whatever happens to the character is connected only uniquely with what however i am interpreting yeah. interpreting my connection with the character so whatever sort of insights i get or whatever sort of like you know epiphanies i get by watching the movies i have gotten that a lot i love or even like a book right if books seem more uh, sophisticated than movies like you read a book there's like a billion ways of interpreting the book but you connect with the book and the characters in a particular way so i am almost more important in the interpretation than the creator themselves right yeah yeah i agree and that that just made me think as well that there's been movies and shows that i've watched and then years later have gone back and i've connected to different characters like you know you you watch something as a kid and you think like the like teenagers super cute and you're like oh my gosh and then you watch it as an adult and you're like those teenagers are so annoying those adults understand you know and it's so i think the same can be with any form of art the experience is also doesn't even just depend on the person it depends on that their state at that day like maybe it you know like the butterfly effect everything affects everything like what if you drank a different type of orange juice that morning it's sitting a little bit different with you and then you like have a completely different experience with a piece of music that you listen to because of that plus every other like micro experience that you've had up to that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely that that's something to think about and I you know like uh about connecting with different parts of a story like it all it's so individual to each one of us mm-hmm. which is why like I hate movie or book reviews that just say not worth your time or you know that criticize a piece of i i because you know like they are so personal and individual i know there's some value to movie ratings because if it's a really badly rated movie or a book i won't pick it up but i like negative reviews usually like rub me in the bad way because i'm like yeah these are your problems that you're just projecting right. on yeah Yeah, and sometimes I th- well I think that's the source of a lot of negativity, not just negative reviews, but negativity is a lot of projecting what's inside someone onto someone else and then blaming external factors. And I think people are too often convinced that because they experience something some way that everyone else is going to experience it in a similar way. And I think that's that's just fundamentally wrong and that's why people get in so many disagreements these days because that applies to art and its enjoyment but it also applies to like politics for example someone's not going to see it the same way as you because they haven't had the millions of experiences that have led to who you are now and it's like the only way we can try to even tap into the way someone's thinking is by listening to them but that's so imperfect like you can listen to someone all day and still not really see through their eyes. Absolutely. I wish we could do augmented reality but like see the world through someone else's eyes, right? True. 
dude, you're tapping into something that I've been talking about, thinking about forever. So my this like this idea that I've had for like some time is like the biggest problem that we humans have. I know we, I'm talking at such like a I feel sort of macro uh, scale. Yeah. yeah, I don't even feel I should be like anybody should pay attention to what I'm saying because what do I know, right? But I had this idea that the biggest problem that we as humans have is miscommunication, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. almost always, and you know, you mentioned some of the effects on politics and then, you know, whatever that leads to. But on a more personal level, like I've had to actively, very consciously be aware of, you know, miscommunications with friends or family to mm-hmm. like, to stop them going bad. Right. Because sometimes yeah. it's something as simple as miscommunications that spoils relationships. And like, mm-hmm. what's, what's more sadder than that. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like, I don't know if you've ever watched a Hallmark movie. Do you know Hallmark movies? No. There are these cheesy movies. I love them. First of all, disclaimer, love Hallmark movies, watch them all the time. But most people hate them because they say they have the same plot. And the plot is this, like, um, small town girl leaves and makes it big in the city, comes back to her roots and falls in love with small town boy. And there's this one moment where they have this big miscommunication. Someone overhears someone at the wrong time and they like break up, but then in the end they get together. It's not even just Hallmark movies. It's every movie. Like the person happens to walk in at the wrong moment and they overhear something and then they leave before it's clarified. And then there's this whole miscommunication. So, I mean, that's just annoying and stupid in cinema, but it kind of shows that the fact that I think the one thing everyone does understand is that communication really is an issue, but I don't think anyone knows how to get over that because yeah. like it's the theme, the communication theme is so pervasive throughout like movies. And it's like kind of what drives the plot. And a lot of them is miscommunication. So we realize it's an issue, but we have no way of getting over it. One thing that I found to be useful is just being transparent, extremely transparent to mm-hmm. a point where you feel vulnerable to saying, I don't know. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling angry at you. Like I've tried this with some of my friends when, you know, when I know that yeah. I'm not at risk of offending them, like just being very clear about, Hey, this is irritating me about you. Can you stop doing that? You know, that's <laughs> such so trivial, but does that work? Think, yeah, it does. Okay. I, I guess it has to work with people who also are, you know, understanding what you're trying to do. Otherwise they'll just think, I'm pointing out everything that's irritating. <laughs> but I think like a very brutal level of honesty sort of tries to fix that communication issue. Oh, yeah. And I think it's it's all about how you preface it. Because like if you and if you get into a habit of communicating that way, I think it's great. Like I think one of the biggest destroyers of relationships, you already said this, is is, is miscommunication. And like, I remember when I was like in the dating pool, thank goodness I'm married. I don't have to do that. (laughs) It's so, dating is so hard. And I'm so glad I don't have to. By the way, I should, I should say, right? Like the the name is wrong on the screen. It should not be Kieran Smith. Yes. My name is Kieran McCord McCord now. Not legally yet because that's so much paperwork, but that's the name I choose to publish with now. It's been a night, but that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day is changing your name. But, but yeah, it's like, I, I talk to all my friends who are single who are trying to date and they just like everyone's so lost in what to say because what you said about being direct, I think there's so much value in that. But on the other hand, if someone is interested in someone and they got me like, I really like you, blah, 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 like it's going to freak them out unless they like them too. But how are they going to know unless they already say that? So like 
there has to be this level of trust before you can have that clear of communication. But I think once you've established that, there's there's no better alternative than just being straightforward. Just like I think I already that. told you, I'm bad at social chess. So transparency seems to be the only like thing yeah. that works for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, it's good too. That's really good. Yeah, you know what? But this this makes me think, right? Going back to artificial intelligence, like artificial like you know, if we think, if we boil it down to a very small problem of driving, right? Like when you and I drive on the street, mm-hmm. like I try to communicate my intentions to you, right? That's basically what I'm doing. I'm using the indicator to tell you I'm going left or right, right. or I plan to go left or right. I give you like a headlight to tell you whatever communication. I raise my eyebrows to tell you I'm whatever, right? We try to communicate yeah. each other. Yeah. But we are obviously not good at face-to-face communication so even forget about being in two separate cars listen to our own podcasts or music and try and communicate that way which leads to accidents but like artificial artificially controlled cars they can almost communicate with each other perfectly so they don't even need signals they don't even need like you know stoplights because why do you need stoplights if you can like sort of communicate a millisecond across each other and just pass by because stoplights are basically yeah. us trying to standardize communication, isn't it? Yeah, that's so interesting. I actually never thought about that. Th- thought about it that way is that the communication between these like artificial intelligence is so seamless. It doesn't have any of the. I mean, when it's when it's working properly, obviously, it doesn't have any of the the downsides of human communication. Um, which is why I think artificial intelligence is so perfectly suited to tasks that don't require nuance, like traffic, because the only nuance is required is when people make mistakes. The only time you need mm-hmm. to like be flexible to swerve or to go, you know, to make decisions are when people make mistakes. But I think the communication between robots, there's this level like the emotional and like social level i don't know that they'll ever get to the point of of human the level of being able to to connect emotionally with a human i think i mean people can connect emotionally with inanimate objects i'm not saying that like little things that's so this is a tangent i love little things like little spoons i can connect emotionally because they're so cute that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about like this synergy of of creation of being able to like brainstorm together come up with come up with something that has depth and emotional value as well as intellectual value but you don't need that when you're driving you just need to stay in the right lane turn at the right time like that's so interesting the communication is perfect when it is at that level at that level of just direction following i think it's also because robots don't have egos they're Mm -hmm. not like i need to get ahead of this person because they cut me off like they don't care yeah right this makes me think of like uh, some of these uh, Neuralink, or I don't know if you've been paying attention to like Neuralink, which is basically, you know, enhancing uh, the human yeah. brain. Yeah. I, I don't like the idea at all. I should preface with that. Like, I don't like the idea of, you know, inserting inorganic things in something. Oh, okay. Describe what you're thinking, because I think we're thinking of different things. Oh, so like Neuralink is Elon Musk's new sort of venture, right? Where you insert a chip in your brain. So now, basically, now you have a memory of remembering what, I, I think they say you can remember 150 people. But with that chip in your brain, now you can remember as big the chip is. Like, right? Like if the chip that you insert in your brain is 200 terabytes, 
you can store photos, videos, people's names, people's faces, all of the How do you access that information? And that's what they're trying to figure out. Oh, gotcha. basically, okay. basically creating that interaction between the the computer and your brain with huh. with seamlessly. So for now example, like I have alb- like photos on my phone, right? Uh-huh. You could say that's an extension of my memory. Like I couldn't yeah. remember what happened on the 1st of January 2019, but I could go to my picture library, you know, open 1st of Jan 2019 and figure out. So what the chip would do is basically make that communication more seamless as if I don't even have to pick up a phone, unlock my phone and go to photos. It mm. would just be like remembering that picture. So anyway, I was saying, I don't want to, I don't like the idea of that inserting something that's inorganic in our brain, which is organically grown. So we don't really know the consequences of you know what would happen if we do that. But it makes me think that uh-huh. if we do that, these sort of, can be better at communicating, right? Because computers, like two computers can seamlessly combine their brains, the computer brains and work as one, which we humans can't do. So you and I can talk about things, but we can't actually fuse apart. You're right that that computers, like that sort of, whatever you call that, what's the name of it? Neuralink. Neuralink, that would allow that would allow more seamless communication between individuals because you'd be able to like access like what's to stop you from connecting to someone else's brain and accessing theirs if you're able to connect yours. But that in and of itself is kind of a freaky issue, like brain control, like just you queue know, up all those scary memories about that. But like, I wonder why you said you're kind of hesitant about that um, concept, and I'm trying to, and I think it's kind of weird too, but I think. It's like, but why are we? Because putting inorganic matter into ourselves, pacemakers, that's like a robot in your heart and like bionic knees and all that stuff. Like we don't, we don't worry about that, but somehow when it comes to our brain, it becomes a different level. See, the difference is like when someone puts in a pacemaker, they don't have an option, right? Or when puts in a prosthetic knee or like a leg, they're doing it because something's wrong with them. And I think the first applications of Neuralink is going to be for people who have like Alzheimer's or some issue with, or some disease that they're trying to combat. But like, I wouldn't put in a chip in my brain tomorrow, you know? And, right, no. And the hesitation I think comes with something you mentioned before with like sound waves and vibrations having an effect on us that we are not even aware of. Mm-hmm. I think it's not limited to just sound waves. I think every action that we take or every anything that we do probably has consequences that we can never, you know, sort of completely imagine. So oh, absolutely, a, a step as big as messing with my brain, I think <laughs> I don't know what the consequences are going to be. So I'm sort of like, you know, that's where the hesitation comes from, I feel like. Yeah, it's so interesting how things impact each other. Like today, I just got the, the first... COVID vaccine dose, speaking of microchips, right? Just kidding. I know there's, there's not a microchip in it, but like (laughs) that little, the little like poke and those antibodies, they have such a big effect. Like for me, I'm not feeling bad. I'm not feeling anything, but like there's a small mental effect it has because you don't worry about, you know, the, the virus anymore. And like, I don't know, every small thing we do has such a, 
such an impact. Like we are the sum of all of our interactions and all of our actions and stuff. So you're right. Something that big is just going to have an astronomical effect. Yeah. And that's where my hesitation comes from. But I think I'm probably like, I should not have the power of making those decisions because I think I'm going to be more futuristic and excited about the possibilities than worrying about the consequences. So I'm right. glad there's more intelligent people, or I, I, at least we hope there is more intelligent people making those decisions, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, isn't that the plot of every movie about technology, though? There, It's created for these great purposes, and then it's misused. And like, we're like, okay, that's fiction, but it's true because like social media, hello, it's created for a great purpose and it does terrible things. What are you going to say? Do you know about CRISPR? I've heard the term. What is it's that? Insane. So CRISPR is basically this American scientist came up with uh, this technology that can go and uh, sort of manipulate your DNA, right? Before before a baby's. Have you heard, heard about of it? that? Yes. So you can sort of like change or manipulate, like decide what DNA is going to be of a future baby. But this is that American real scientist, though? I heard about, no. I thought I heard about a fictional. <laughs> Absol- no, no, absolutely. So this American scientist who came up with it, they published the results. And I think the decision was almost like the nuclear bomb uh, sort of situation, right? Like we know this, do we publish this because we don't know how other people are going to use it or do we keep it secret? But then that's not science because you're supposed to share your findings. Right. So this American scientist decided to share it, right? And there's six Chinese CRISPR babies right now that were born in 2015 or 2016. So there's five or six. That's what we publicly know. There's five or six six-year-olds that were genetically modified by humans. Whoa. How insane is that? What? As and far as we know, there's only five or six. But if you have exactly, the that's ability what I mean, yeah. to... And going back to like, you know, what you said, like we might think IQ is, let's say IQ is a desirable, you know, attribute. Like we want a higher IQ, but we don't really know someone who has a 250 IQ. Like what are the bad parts to them? Like, oh yeah, it has to have an effect. Absolutely. Like, do we know that people are happier if they're smarter? I'm pretty sure people aren't. Like, I think there's this really delicate balance of, of like all these factors and people and society values people's like drive and their intelligence. And those are the things that get rewarded by society's rewards, which are money and status Mm -hmm. and looks of course, as well. Looks are huge. And like, but if you give someone maximum looks, maximum intelligence and maximum motivation, are they truly going to be happier? I don't know. Cause Mm -hmm. like, you know, you hear about all these celebrities who are just miserable. And like, here I am, little, little nobody who's doing a couple cool things, but not really anything significant. And I'm like, really happy. So I don't, really, I don't know. No, but yeah, you're right. Like, uh, we know, like, we think IQ is desirable, but that's with the understanding that the, what's the incentive is productivity, right? Mm-hmm. But like, life yeah. is not about productivity. Like, life's yeah. not about how much work can you get done. That's for computers to do. So what's the like third, five, fifth, fiftieth degree consequences of genetically right. modifying like babies? Like what do they become as adults? 
I guess we'll find um, out. And like, and then there's also the question of like individualism versus contribution to society. Like a society, mm-hmm. a society's happiness, quote unquote, is based on its success and its productivity. And then you generally have a better quote society if you have a bunch of productive citizens, but then you look at each individual and it could be that your productive society is full of happy individuals or it could be full of, full of miserable individuals, but the society is still happy, which is why I think society keeps like promulgating all of these advancements and stuff. Whereas individuals, the effect on them is, is less secure, I guess. Yeah. The scary thing is it's not like, it's not like we're talking about a possible thing that could happen. Like, these people exist yeah but okay then then riddle me this so i i i think i share your sentiment but i'm trying to figure out why we feel it's different from like vaccines for example that's that's on my mind so that's somewhat of a genetic modification you're not modifying genetic traits but it's modifying who you are and then let's let's think about like you know, aesthetic modifications, like people who change their bodies in some ways, whether it's someone else who's like putting them on a workout regimen or like, yeah, like your tattoos, like that's modifying your body. And then there's the way what you eat constitutes like what I ate as a kid. Now my like body constitution is resultant a lot from that. A lot of it's genetic, but a lot of it's based on my eating and my exercise habits not just fitness, but like your, you know, the, like your mentalities and stuff is based on these habits and stuff. So in some ways that's modification of self, but this, I don't know, like, I think we probably feel like it's different because the modification of self was to genetic traits. I don't know if you can hear it. My dog's like scratching and barking in the background. You can't hear it. No, okay. I, yeah. I guess, uh, there's also the aspect of like, uh, willingly doing something. And yeah. these babies, or uh, sorry, pre-babies. I don't. What was the word for someone who's not embryos? I don't embryo. know at what point they were modified, though. Right. So. Whatever that is, like, yeah. They did not ask them. Do you need a higher IQ? Do you need blue eyes? I guess yeah. that's what's desirable. Yeah. Yeah, the lack of choice in it. Yeah, it's true. The sort of like playing god of someone who's going to be a person, right? Right. Well, because we, if someone did that to someone who was born, like, for example, say you want someone to have really light skin, so you keep them inside all the time. That's Mm -hmm. like, as a baby, that's not their choice. But like, people look at it and be like, yeah, that's a little weird. Like, let's not do that. But they like, don't say that about modifying someone before they're even born, before they even have, but then they didn't say they didn't want to, but they didn't even have a brain at that point. So it's before they even have preference. Yeah, I don't, like, you bring up a good point. Like, why is that more weird than vaccines or other modifications like tattooing my body? Like, if I ask, like, a super Catholic friend of mine or religious friend of mine, they would say, you shouldn't tattoo yourself because, you know, the Bible says you should. Or it might be a different religion I'm thinking of. Some religion, I'm sure, says do not modify your body, right? Right, right. Because, and uh, it makes sense. I know I don't know for sure what these tattoos are doing to me, but, you know, I can't be a hundred percent sure that these are not detrimental, but I think that's with any action we take. We cannot be a hundred percent sure, but we sort of make a judgment of, uh, this is probably fine. This is probably not fine. Inserting a chip in my brain is a bigger modification than getting a tattoo in my body, getting a vaccine. Yeah. And, and completely changing someone's appearance or IQ is also 
much bigger than getting a tattoo. Like it's definitely not even the same scale. I'm just, it's like, yeah, dude, dude. So like, I don't even understand like the consequences of talking to someone who's like, who has, who has like a lot of fish. What do you call them? Uh, face surgeries. You oh, know? like Botox and reconstructive oh, yeah. surgeries and stuff. It's obvious where you can't. Yeah, like it's very obvious when someone has that, right? Like at least a lot of it. And it's like when I when you talk to people like that, it's very difficult to sort of communicate with them because you're missing on so much information, right? Like you're not getting like small eye blinks or like creases in their foreheads that would otherwise be there. So this whole modification game is very like creepy to me. That's interesting too, because I, I actually haven't met a lot of people that have had plastic surgery. If you move to LA, then you'll get that every other day. But like, there's a, you should you should come to my gym, my building gym. There's like really five or six. Yeah, dude. Like I don't know. You should oh. come to my gym. Check talk to these people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, but there's like levels of that too. Like Botox. I I actually know people who do that, and it's pretty normal. It's just like keeping wrinkles out of your skin and stuff. But I mean, it does change it a little bit way. But it like prevents the aging process like this i don't know i know people who do it but then plastic surgery like where you completely change like the structure of your nose or your cheekbones or your jaw or something it's a whole nother level and then combined with each other i just it's yeah you're right it's just very different yeah at what point do you stop thinking about these things at a larger level like sometimes i get stuck with thinking about these big scale items but like right like Oh, our planet is a small rock in this universe <laughs> that is potentially multi-universes that we don't even, like, you know, I yeah. sort of get stuck sometimes in that zone. And then I'm like, yeah, but I still have to write my paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hard thing. Like, there's deep thought and there's just wandering thought and there's, I don't know, it's, there's a lot to think about. I find myself stuck in that zone quite often. And then the, the the more fun things tend to be things that we don't know. Going back to, you know, yeah. that's where the fun is, like trying to think about things we don't know. Instead yeah. Of, yeah. Well, sure. it was fun talking to you, man. I know we are at the hour, so I don't want to keep you longer for a oh, Friday yeah. night. That was quick. That was really yeah. quick. Yeah. Well, thanks for the chat too. It's given me a lot to think about and it's, yeah, it's really fun to do that explorative thinking, I think on your own, but when you do it with someone else too, it just starts, it like opens new, new conduits for thought. So it's really fun. I mean, we are pattern recognizing machines. So when two yeah. people talk about something, there's like double the pattern recognizers trying to identify patterns. So I think. Yeah. It's a different way of saying collaboration is good. It just, it just sounds <laughs> exactly right. That's what you publish in the paper, but all the yeah, all the thought that's gone into it is so much more nuanced than that. Yeah, but I really like talking to you. I think we don't get the chance to talk about stupid stuff when we are like working. So it's oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. It was nice, a nice break from from writing. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Kiran. Yep. Bye, bye. Bye.